in three, two, one, and we're live. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you were here? How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? What we've got here is failure to communicate. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me sure. What's up, everybody? It's the Dad's the Drink. It's Friday night. We're back in your ear hole. Tonight, we have Brendan Anthony from the Texas Music Office. He was appointed by the governor to lead all Texas music into the future. He's going to be on here to tell us about what's going on during the quarantine and what's going to happen after this is released. You know Mikey J, Mikey Jerome is back in the house. Tonight, he's going to make a Paloma and he's going to make a White Russian. If anyone knows who that is, the dude drinks him in a very famous movie called The Big Lebowski. We're going to have some other special guests and we're going to play some trivia at the end. So let's get right into it. My boy, Jeffro, we're back in the house. What's going on with you? Uh, everything and nothing. Okay. I'm really excited to have uh, a special guest on um, that that I know and have some fond memories of. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this interview. This, this means a lot to me and I really appreciate Brendan doing this. But uh, I'm excited, and uh, it's been a great week, man. How was your week? Yeah, it was excellent. Um, it's been very busy trying to get all this together, um, but it has been definitely, definitely worth all of it, and I'm super excited about this one tonight, too. Yeah, I don't have any new bike ramp videos. I'm still building. Okay. Um, uh, to jump, you know, the Tony Hawk experience, but uh, yeah, don't have anything new to, to share with the, the people to make fun of me, so... Oh, I'm sure we can find something later on. But oh, you know what? Let's not do that right now. Let's get into our first guest because I'm super excited about bringing him out. Now, as I said, Brendan Anthony, he's the director of Texas Music, and he has been appointed to that position by the governor. And what he does is sets the agenda for business development. He helps music industry professionals navigate their entry into the Texas market, and he moves their businesses to Texas. And that's corporations, startups, and everything in between. Now, he was appointed by Governor Abbott in 2015, and he provides the link between the Office of Governor's Economic Development and the Tourism Division Executive Staff. He's based out of Austin, but he's here with us tonight, and we are going to talk to him about everything that's going on so let's without further ado bring him into the room brendan let's bring you back in and uh we'll get right into it and there he is right there the man himself hey guys how are you we are excellent hey, sir thank you so here. much for being here absolutely get my screen all set there well you know i figured you heard, you would hear my name and be like eh, i'm not doing it with that dude <laughs> So no, I'm excited to see you. let's describe that a little bit. So the reason this came up was because you and Jeffro have kind of a history, uh, grew up in the same town, went to the same high schools. You took two separate paths in life, but it's good to bring you guys back together. So I'm glad to put you two in the same room. 
Uh, he is wearing a cowboy hat, and I got to tell you, Brendan, he never wears one of those. So um, I'm glad you got him in one because I don't think you'll ever get me in one. So <laughs> let's just uh, kind of go over, you know, your career because you have kind of a, a crazy story about it. Um, you you started playing the violin at age three. That's right. Um, yeah, I started as a little kid. Yeah. yeah, your parents thought that was important that you do that, so you played it all the way up to high school. Now. Is there a reason, I've heard there is in watching some stuff and reading about you, that you stopped playing that violin in high school? Yeah, I'm trying to remember back. I, I think it wasn't the, uh, wasn't the wasn't the coolest thing to do classical <laughs> violin through high school. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, normal stuff, man. I wanted to do sports and I wanted to hang out with friends and uh, the, uh, I guess the, the draw to play, you know, more commercial or you know mainstream music was there uh but i uh, didn't have the drive anymore to do all the classical training and practice I and mean, that's a pretty good burnout peak at that point too after that many years yeah. every day all the time it, I, it run its course I mean, absolutely absolutely and and you have mentioned that before that you so had Brendan, to... um if i'm not mistaken did you oh we got a delay here did you grow, were you off of Glade Road, like right around the corner from where I lived? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we were right down the street from. We were you. like three or four blocks away. Yeah, we were on um, Old Street. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, um, it may have been cool to know me once in upon a time, but I've dropped your name. Oh, Brendan Anthony, he grew up around the corner from me. So <laughs> don't get hey, I I appreciate me uh, riding on your coattails, but uh, not at all, man. I was gonna say I I stopped playing uh, violin to do sports and. Uh, to say that I was unsuccessful at it while well, you were successful at it, it's an understatement. <laughs> well, you know what? You're very successful with what you're doing now, and it's carried you this far, so I think that's super cool. Um, I want to ask a question for you. I know we'll get into like your career and what you're doing as the director of the Texas Music Office, but how cool, what, what is the feeling playing on stage? You're playing fiddle, Pat Green, you played for like, Corey Morrow, you played with some really amazing people. Um, I equate the feeling of running out on the football field in front of 80,000 people, say you're at Aggieland, that feeling's amazing. But I, I suspect the feeling you get from playing and having that crowd and that interaction is pretty special. Can you explain how amazing that is and how it equates to something? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a couple levels. Uh, as a kid, I saw people playing on stage and always aspired to do it. So... Um, the thrill of getting to do it, even in front of a, a really limited number of people early on, was was an amazing experience. So, having people watch what you're doing and and uh, give you feedback and adulation for it is a uh, it's an amazing feeling. Uh, uh, a thing I've been really fortunate to experience is to grow with a, a crowd on the way up with the bands I was in. Uh, some of the bands I was in uh, had some pretty serious spikes in popularity for certain. I got to experience that. Um, and it was great to see it go from absolutely nothing to, you know, 50, 60,000, thousand people occasionally, um, at, uh, Astrodome Energy Stadium and on the tours we did with the, with the majors, um, playing most of the football stadiums in the country and, uh, over in Western Europe and, uh, it, there's nothing like it. I mean, if you, if you walk out on stage and they're, they're cheering for, you know, what you do and, and the music you make, uh. Yeah, it's it's really hard to describe, and you know, 
I spent some time around professional athletes and athletes who had uh, trained for their whole life to do that and got to thread that needle and be the 0.01% that sure. got to go be a starting pitcher or, or closing pitcher in MLB or a, you know a, a name on a on a pro team. Uh, and and I can't imagine versus the financial compensation that's so different. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine it's uh, that much different than being that pro athlete uh, for a couple of reasons. You you get that adulation for what you specifically are doing, and you're getting that adulation for what you're doing together with some really good friends and a shared experience. And then the other side of that is when you kind of career age out of that. You know, in my case, I made a decision to retire, and I do say retire because I ended that part of my life. That's not transition. That's, to me, I don't really do that anymore for a living. That's retirement from a thing. And those guys, um, you know, those men and women athletes that get to do that get to say the same thing. They're, they're done with that part of their life, and usually they're done with it at a pretty young age. Sure. You know, I was 30. Five thirty-four when I got off the road for good, you know, put the stamp on it, and uh, that's about the same age. A lot of you know, a lot of pro athletes stop. So you have this uh, tremendous amount of uh, attention and adulation, a lot of identity tied to what you do, your contribution and uh, your uh, individual skill set, and then that's over with. Um, and it's interesting to figure out what next steps are and phases are. So I mean, incredible experience and incredible feedback. Uh, a lot of identity tied to it, but then, you know. And it's nice to dip your toe back into it every now and again. Well, and that's what's... Before we came on, we talked about you going and playing with, with Pat and some other people in New York. Can you talk about that and being able to at least experience that kind of toe dip feeling? Yeah, that's what's really unique about my situation. And I give a lot of credit to Pat, and I've got a lot of love and loyalty to that guy. Uh, when I left and said uh, I was done and we agreed it was time, uh, he said, uh, that's your spot. If you want to come play, come play. Um, which, you know, I, I can't thank him enough because even now, 10 years on from that decision to move on after 15 years uh, in the band, like you said, I still get, get to go back, excuse me, and play these really amazing shows. And they give me a hard time, sure. I mean, because I come back for, <laughs> I come back for the really great ones. You know, I show back up with Red Rocks or a, a New York Tarnal 5 or a Whitewater with Willie or something. And, uh, they got to go to Abilene the next night. All due respect to Abilene, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. Uh, that's that's really rare in this business to get to do that. I I cannot tell you how fortunate I feel and how lucky I know I am to get to do that. So let me ask you a question, Brennan. Sure. So you know, we talked about that you played classical. Uh, when you went to college, you kind of changed over, and you you've said before that the violin and fiddle are the same thing, pretty much. Um, so you changed over to this style of music. Now of the two styles of music, first off, the part of the question is what's your favorite kind of music to play? Now it's, I would say that classical is very technical, uh, and takes a lot of patience. This one is more rhythmic and, and I, I would think a lot more fun to play. Um, but what, what is your favorite kind as you were coming up to play? I'd be thrilled to play any of it very well. So uh, I'd be so happy if I could play any of it uh, like an expert. Uh, the truth is uh, I'm one of those kinds of players who's kind of like uh, inch deep and mile wide. I really, I can pull my classical books out 
and play the stuff I was taught to play like a, an amateur, and I can play fiddle like an amateur. I always said I don't want to insult fiddle players by calling myself one. I learned how to play violin in a country band. <laughs> I taught myself how to do that. And the fiddle players I grew up around are incredible players, uh, just amazing players. And they come up their whole life in fiddle competitions, and they've got this style that has been honed and passed down. And I can't do any of that stuff. Uh, what I figured out how to do was to write uh, melodic accompanying lines for songwriters that I played with, lines that would fit the style of music that they were trying to convey, lines that fit would fit that individual song, and to complement it. You know, um, you know, there was the there was a quote by Chet Atkins, who was a really famous country guitar player, and he was in the studio, and somebody asked him what they ought to play in the gap that they were given, and he said, "Hey, man, the melody always works." And, you know, you don't have to be, you have to be a good player, but you don't have to be the best classical player in the world or the best traditional fiddle player in the world to play the melody of a song that someone already wrote and really has crafted well. So that's where I fit in. So, look, I'm not trying to be falsely modest or anything like that. I, I was a pretty decent player, but I got to play with some people like uh, Lloyd Maines as producers and uh, Don Gaiman as producers and Greg Ladani certainly as producers and Tony Brown and all these great guys we got to record with that built a little space for me and it was just my job to not screw it up. So if I could be a great you know, Irish fiddle player or a great traditional fiddle player like Jason Roberts or, or a swing player like Jason Roberts or a great classical player, that'd be amazing. Truth is, I'll never be any of those things, but I can play with songwriters. I figured out how to do that best I know how and it's, it's worked for me. Well, and I'm going to say this, and you're being modest, Brendan. I've watched you play live in, in, with Pat and Pat Green. We're saying Pat like he's not my buddy, but Brendan knows him very well. But um, Brendan, um, he did have a good presence on stage. The fiddle is such an important role in Texas music that you have to have some personality and character, and you kind of have to know when to hit your marks. And Brendan did that very well, and he was very well respected and uh, appreciated amongst uh, music lovers in that genre. Thank so Brendan is being modest. He's very humble and good for him, but he was a badass. That's all I'm saying. Always had fun. But I think that classical right. that you said, that you figured out a way to write melodic um, melodies, I think that comes from your classical background into this world. And I think that even though you say you're a, a modest player and that you'll never be better, I think that you might bring something to the table that none of these other guys can that have played fiddle their whole life that, that haven't played in both of those worlds. Um, I think that, that, that kind of sets you apart. And I think maybe that's what Pat saw about you, or do you know what Pat saw about you that, that, yeah, you met him backstage. I, I mean, you know, and yeah. and you said you'd be back the next day, and you came back, and and there had to be something though that set you apart because he could pick any fiddle player that he wanted, and and when your time came to an end with him, he still said, "This is your gig. You come back when you want." So there has to be something special about you, as much as you don't want to harp on yourself or or talk about yourself. There's got to be something special about what you're doing. I appreciate that um, and all that reads into it. I mean, I think a Suzuki player, which I was, which is a form of uh, classical music instruction, really teaches students how to learn with their ears. And um, 
it improves intonation, which is that ability to play, if your instrument's tuned correctly, it's that ability to play the note, the center of the note, right? So you're not pitchy one way or the other. Uh, so you learn by hearing and you're, you know, if, if, you, if you work hard on that method, you can be a really uh, in tune player. And that's, a, that's honestly not to, not to uh, cast, cast any aspersions at, at fiddle players or anybody else, but you know, playing in tune on a violin, which is an instrument that has no frets, which are those you know, lines on the fretboard to tell you where you put your fingers or, or keys, you know, it's, it's extremely important to know where those notes are and find them and hear that you're playing them right and make these micro corrections in real time. Uh, and I was okay at that. I mean, I didn't play a whole bunch of notes really fast, but I mostly played them in tune. Uh, some live records I wish I could take back. But um, <laughs> I tell you what I think Pat saw in me was, um, and not to speak for Pat, but we were really young. I was in my late teens when I met Pat. I didn't know any better. And I was just confident enough and, and dumb enough to walk up to people who were playing music in front of a lot of people and say, how did you do that? Uh, how did you build the crowd? How did you write these songs? How did you know that you wanted to play music? You know, and I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that. And I didn't really care, I guess. And so I had a backstage pass because I pulled that same trick on Corey Morrow and talked him into letting me play. He had a band uh, back then that was really great. Ryan Lynch, Brian Farabee, uh, Jens Pinkernell, and uh, they were a great, great band. And I asked to come play, and he said yes. And they had a show opening for Robert Earl Keane at the Wolfpin Creek Amphitheater in College Station. Uh, it rained out. It was a big rain out. Mark Shaberg and John Dixon put that show on. It was a big rain out. But I kept my backstage pass, because you never know. And right. uh they rescheduled the show for maybe, I don't know, the end of the semester, possibly middle of the semester. I can't remember. But uh, I went back up there and I had my pass. Corey couldn't do it because his sister was getting married. Pat got asked to do it. And Pat was a nobody, uh, but he was up and coming like he was starting to make some waves out of tech. And uh, I just I went backstage and he finished playing. I was impressed. He had a lot of charisma to this day. He has a lot of charisma. He's very magnetic on stage. If he doesn't know something, he'll just blow right through it. And uh, <laughs> I went up to him and said, hey, man, uh, you need me in your band. Um, and he said, I don't know who you are, but if you can learn this new CD that I just just made with Lloyd Maines and you can be at the Fidelt House, yeah, the Fidelt House on Highway 60 tomorrow night. We're doing a show. We'll see how it works out. And uh, I tried to learn as many of those parts as I could, and I showed up and had, a, I guess, decent enough attitude and had fun, and uh, we just hit it off. And that was it, really. I don't think I played well at all <laughs> that couldn't have there's no was that was that first was that the georgia's bar cd uh that was dance hall dreamer dance hall dreamer so i've got i mean i have some great pat green stories i i interacted with pat a few times but um you know pat went to tech but was from waco yeah and um when i was at baylor um I had one of the coolest experiences ever, not to steal your thunder here, oh, but um, right around the corner, there was, you know, Georgia's bar, obviously I lived there in my senior year when I was done. Yeah. And with uh, uh, Buzzer Billy's and there's this place open up called Fred and Wally's. It was a hole in the wall, Colesbury, Texas. It was me and a buddy named Danny Fletcher. And I think Danny and Pat had dated the same girl or something weird, like whatever there was there. We were all young, right? This was probably in 1990 seven maybe yep and, and i think it was his manager at the time and we sat in this place and there was five people in the place and pat played 
in front of me and Danny and his manager, and we just shot the shit, drank a cold beer, and he just played whatever song came into our mind. And it was probably one of the coolest things I got to experience. Pat is a charismatic guy, but uh, I can see why um, people are so uh, electrified by him and see why you would join his band. But that was one of the coolest experiences I ever had there. Yeah. So uh, he probably won't remember who I am. I wouldn't even bring my name up, but uh, it was cool for me. Well, that's fun. Those are good memories. So let's talk when you came off the road and, and where you started heading and stuff. So you come off the road and, and what do you do immediately after you, you kind of leave that life behind you? See, that was 2010. I was working with some young artists as consultant, uh, just, just for fun. I just knew how to, I knew how to do that. Uh, but I had a, uh, a chance run in with a guy who had started our online merch business back when that was a really novel concept. He started Pat's website, uh, did his fan club and his merchandise, and he was starting up another company, and um, he needed someone to do uh, uh, artist relations, essentially, and uh, venue relations, and I just knew all those people, uh, and so I helped uh, pull together half the money to start that company, and uh, it's still going. It's called uh, One Live Media now. Um, back then, it was Music One Live. Now, it's One Live Media. Uh, but I, I dove in uh, headfirst to that, so I had a place to go right out of the band, and it kept me in uh, my relationships in Rolodex. And um, we did uh, uh, artist, I did artist relations, but we did global uh, e-commerce and fulfillment for artists. Um, so we would build their digital storefronts, we'd load up all their online merchandise, and we'd sell it for them. So we worked uh, with some top-tier artists uh, like Beyonce and Willie Nelson and uh, wow. a whole slew of other international acts. And the back side of that was um, global logistics and fulfillment. So I helped set up the, uh, from scratch, we built this um, uh, global logistics and fulfillment operation. We had uh, warehouses I oversaw in uh, Burbank, or LA, uh, Heathrow in London, uh, Dallas and Austin. And we did our best to uh, fulfill millions of orders and uh, keep the artists happy and uh, translate their needs digitally to their fans. Um, we also had a ticketing component, so we would work with um, uh, music venues and festivals to do their online and physical ticketing, that kind of thing. Um, and then part of the company did fan clubs. I didn't really get into that that much. Uh, the uh, online merchandise business and fulfillment logistics uh, absolutely blew up, and so it uh, it gained traction really fast. And we were a small startup. Uh, so, you know, I, I came from playing, I had, you know, a few minutes of downtime and then I was into this and, um, if you've ever worked at a startup or know people who have, that could be a pretty all consuming thing in and of itself. But, uh, when you're, uh, oh boy, sorry. That's uh, okay. I had a phone call. So, you know, when you're working in startup world, not kill that, but, uh, you know, it's all consuming. You're, you're constantly going, uh, but that logistics side was just, uh, a really uh, 24-7 job. Uh, I was on the phone with people uh, or working in the warehouses making sure they were running constantly. Uh, it was exciting. I mean, I was uh, I was happy to do it. I felt really fortunate in a way. Um, you know, a common thread for me is that uh, I don't think um, I don't think this industry gives you much of anything. Uh, it's it's an industry that if you find your way through it uh, to some sort of success, you're you're lucky in a certain, you know, uh, some circumstances you're lucky. But uh, 
if, if you're if you're afraid to work hard, it sure is tough to make it. Um, and so I've always felt really fortunate when I get to work hard. I feel like it's a really uh, it's a really fortunate thing to be able to do in this industry. And so you know the extensive touring, the 200 plus dates a year, 220 dates, whatever it was, being gone, no real home life to speak of, no real you know concrete friend network at home. That was all a cost of doing business. Right. And I felt the same way about the the work we put in to build that that business for the five years that I spent there before I got this new job. But it was really, I mean, I, w I was not afraid to do anything from, you know, driving the uh, the forklift to talking to Beyonce and her manager about what they needed on the site and then dealing with their fans. And we did anything to make this thing work and worked really hard at it. So 2010 left, got to start that company, dove headfirst into it. And that was a five-year stretch from 2010 to 2015 that went by really fast but it it felt like um yeah it, it felt like a ton of work and it, it was in retrospect and so Brent, let me ask you what what degree did you get from AM, by the way well there's some irony in this because um i got a poli sci degree a political science degree from from a m uh which was just uh you know m my dad who is a statistician and a professor at a m uh, would just give me a hard time. He, you know, he, he would just say he was a very practical guy. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, learn a trade, learn math, science. Right. You're gonna ha you know, go to law school. These are You're all good. And, and of course, I would took this completely different direction. And so you were a poli sci. Yeah. You know, Texas music. He's thinking, what is he doing? Yeah. So first of all, I got a completely impractical degree if I wasn't going to go to law school. <laughs> and then I took up being a professional musician while I was still in college, mind you while I was still a freshman in college. And so, yeah, my, you know, yeah, I got a poli sci degree from A&M, but the consensus was from the people in my life that mattered at that time, that that was meaningless. So, uh, so it's just ironic that now I'm actually square in the middle of right every day all the time. So, but yeah, poli sci degree from A&M, uh, in parallel with a full-time job as a musician all the way through. Yeah, college. so that's what's interesting because when I hear you talk of this and then I read about you and all, no, you were appointed by the governor, Greg Abbott. That's uh, in, in, was it 2015, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And I read some articles back then, you know, when you first took office and all that. But I think, uh, and I posted some things on Facebook or some social media. What is it that you do, Brendan, as the director of Texas Music? Because that's a broad... It's almost like what you talked about. You probably have so many moving parts, you do everything. But can you kind of explain what it is that you do? Yeah. Um, let's see, how do I start? So, um, <laughs> yeah, so in 15, so Governor Abbott was elected uh, and, and uh, was inaugurated in 15. So I was part of the transition team that came on uh, into office in 15. I was one of a, a slew of appointees. Governor Perry had been there for 14 years prior. So there was a slew of new appointees that came on. Um, I had some friends working in transition who thought I'd be a good fit because I had a bunch of industry knowledge and a ton of connects and had lived a very practical experience in the music industry. Absolutely. Uh, it was yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh, theoretical for me. I'd actually lived it and understood the business. So uh, these these folks uh, sort of asked me and then and then took my name to Governor Abbott, who appointed me in '15. Uh, my first mandate uh, from from GA uh, and that staff was to. Uh, learn what the office did i mean that's that's Very kind nice. of a, hey go go discover what it is okay. uh find out what it does today because we're not completely clear uh find out exactly what it does today and what its capabilities are 
And then you take the time you think you need, but come back to us with a report about uh, its baseline and its capabilities. So uh, that took a little bit of time. I mean, I didn't feel like rushing into something and setting a bunch of directions in stone that I didn't think I might be comfortable with today, five years from now, you know, five years from then. So I uh, took my time and I really talked to a lot of people much smarter than I. Um, industry leaders, people who have been around politics for a long time, people who have been around, um, you know, uh, uh, the bureaucracy for a long time, people who are entrepreneurial. I just talked to a lot of folks, um, and I figured out uh, what I thought we could we could do in addition to uh, the traditional roles Texas Music Office uh, offered. So those traditional roles were set by a legislative mandate. Uh, that uh, instructs the Texas Music Office to inform elected membership about the Texas music industry. So okay. keep them apprised and then to be a diplomat for the music industry external to Texas. Uh, the Texas Music Office was tasked to serve as a clearinghouse of information for the Texas music industry. Uh, this is prior to uh, search engines as you as you, you can probably right. put that timeline on. So. So back then there was no Google to uh, type in the name of the business you wanted to find and then track down their owner and have the connect. So for a long time uh, before those came into existence, the Texas Music Office was essentially the one-stop shop for information about the industry. And I uh, would publish a book annually uh, that it would send out to people all over the country and all over the state so that they could connect with each other. So it served a really cool function for a long time. Uh, but at the advent of the search engine, a lot of that unique service was sort of put into the hands of uh, the average human being on their computer. So uh, it stopped being, in my opinion, as relevant a service as it had been. So what we've done since is we've kept that core functionality, but we've used that data. We, we house 15,000 listings of industry professionals and industry uh, components in the website in the database and we use that to change the conversation about what the Texas music industry is. Uh, we want elected leadership to know that um, yes we're a cultural component and one that we should all be very proud of uh, but there's very uh, there's a very in-depth understanding beyond that that you should have if you're going to talk about the industry the same way you talk about every other every other industry and that's economics right? right. Uh, so we reset the conversation and the Texas Music Office can tell you, uh, and you can visit the website and see this if you'd like, uh, that X amount of people go to work uh, every year in this industry and create this many billions of dollars in earnings um, and contribute nearly $400 million to the tax base when things are functioning normally, let me say that. Uh, right, so we'll get to that later. But, uh, you know, so we became an economic advocate uh, for the industry to elected leadership so we could change the conversation about what the industry was and what it needed. That gave me the ammunition to go out and become a business development office. Uh, we sit on the economic development team. I do. I sit on the economic development team for the state. Uh, my counterparts are film, military preparedness, the Texas Workforce Investment Council, uh, and others. And we're tasked to make sure that our industry functions in a healthy way. And if we're missing key components of it, then we bring it in. So I worked for about three years and got a company called uh, BMI moved to Texas that uh, is a vital part of our industry infrastructure on the creative side for certain. Uh, and there are others that we're working on to expand. So we serve that business development role. We can talk about the industry in economic terms and change the conversation for a little while to what we think it ought to be. 
Uh, and then I do a lot of other work too. We created a statewide network of semi-satellite offices through our Music Friendly Communities program. And we essentially take our footprint and we go work with communities across the state uh, and give them that framework to listen to for the first time, to react to in a common sense way and to advocate for the industry at home locally and to uh, populate our database with data that they collect locally. They're experts about uh, Fort Worth and I'm not, so I need to be able to rely on a counterpart office there to help me do my job better. So we created 10 of those. Our goal is, I think we can still accomplish it even with the stoppage of 10 more communities this year, hopefully more the year after that. I don't think we need every single community in Texas to be on board to make this a viable program. Uh, but we certainly do have a lot of industry centers around the state that contribute to our landscape. We need as many of those as possible. Uh, in addition to that, I work in um, uh, D.C. a little bit to um, make sure that we are known organization to trade organizations uh, who advocate for the industry and uh, create copyright reform. Okay. Um, and we pay attention to what the Department of Justice does that may negatively or positively affect our uh, industry, our small business at home, we advocate for it. We work with the Texas delegation to uh, clue them in uh, when important pieces of legislation come their way so that they know to keep us in mind too in addition to their already stacked portfolio. And we work with the uh, governor's uh, federal DC liaison to get that information across to Senate Judiciary members, uh, Cruz and Cornyn, and to our entire Texas delegation up there. Uh, and then in addition to those core functions, um, I'm all over the place doing uh, speaking engagements, talking about these things that I've just mentioned generally to you, um, talking about best practices for treating the industry and, lo and, and uh, local government, uh, advocacy things we're working on, things coming down the pike, I mean, anything under the sun. So I'm a public figure for the office, um, and so I, I do a, you know, a bunch, bunch of uh, speaking and traveling on, on behalf of it. Uh, it was my goal this year. Of course, this won't happen now. Um, not, I'm not whining about it. We're, we're getting through this. But uh, my goal was to be in uh, New York, Nashville, and, uh, and D.C. once a quarter uh, to work with industry leaders to keep us top of mind, uh, L.A. a little bit as well. Uh, that'll continue when we're able to go back to work. But uh, as you can see, I mean, we're a wide-ranging office. Uh, I'm very busy at the office. Um, and, uh, you know, we're a relevant um, entity in industry professionals' lives now in a way that we never have been. We communicate with hundreds of thousands of people via our social programs, social media programs and newsletters now, and those things were simply non-existent five years ago. So, you know, we can reach out and touch people now, we can hear from people, we can advocate for them in an effective and accurate way, um, and we can really tell the story of what the industry means economically to the state for the first time, I think. So you mentioned companies like BMI. There's other ones, TuneCorp and, and that, uh, and they are helping up-and-coming artists with you, right? So how do you work with these companies? Because you said you're, you're trying to build in the communities, too. You have the 10 satellites, all that kind of stuff. How are these companies keeping uh, up-and-coming musicians close to Texas and kind of, you know, because the more we have here, the bigger our name's going to be when you go to Los Angeles, when you go to New York, when you go to Washington, D.C. We're going to be top of mind awareness when you get there. So what do these companies do to help keep making Texas music stronger and stronger and stronger? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. It's at the heart of why I do a lot of what I do. So uh, 
The fundamental problem I see, and it's always been a conversation point uh, amongst people who know, the fundamental problem I see uh, in Texas is that it's a great live music economy and has been for generations, but we're not well prepared to monetize intellectual property in this state the way that industry centers like Nashville and New York and Los Angeles are. We simply don't have the mechanisms to allow artists to form those bedrock relationships early in their career so that they keep publishing revenue here uh, and that they sign important affiliations to keep their business, important parts of their business in Texas. The traditional model is you go get some traction, then you go to Nashville. If you're, let's just keep this in Texas country for a minute because we all on this call likely understand that a little bit better than all the other genres we work with. But say, you know, you're a, an up-and-coming singer-songwriter that models himself or herself after Pat or Jerry Jeff Walker or uh, any number of the Texans that have come out of here, Maren Morris, Miranda Lambert, on and on. You get a little bit of traction, you get a little bit of uh, positive feedback, and your first move is to go to Nashville mm -hmm. uh, and to sign a, a performance rights organization deal with CSAC, ASCAP, or BMI. Uh, to seek out publishing companies that exist there in, in mass, not as many as there used to be, uh, but still very prevalent there, to find writing circles so that you can collaborate and get cuts. And those things simply don't happen in uh, great enough numbers in Texas. So it was my mission to create a more vibrant ecosystem in Texas that has key components like a performance rights organization. And BMI was our first thought leader there who moves. So, you know, we work very closely with them. TuneCore was our first digital distribution, independent digital di distribution company that chose to create a satellite office here. And Amy Lombardi, who runs that office, does some amazing networking uh, and brings artists together and can walk them through, as a human being, the process of loading their catalog up, inserting all the metadata you have to to get paid back and loading it up so that you can get paid. Um, I want others here. We need publishing companies based here. We're working on that. I really want Sound Exchange here, which is the company that gets you paid back for performance royalties. I want that company here. And they all know this. I mean, I sit in their offices with their CEOs and talk about these things until they throw me up. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, they know where we're coming from. We're, we're a well-known commodity to them. And we'll get them here. That's the bottom line. That's my job. And we'll get them here. It's a really difficult conversation. Uh, to have with a company that's as large scale as a company like BMI. So sure. it took from inception of the conversation with them three years to the announcement with Governor Abbott and their key executive team that yes, we're here, yes, we're opening an office and Mitch Ballard's gonna run it and here's where it's gonna be. It's a three year process. It's like turning a, an aircraft carrier around uh, and uh, I'm not afraid to do it. I, I find the process fascinating, but uh, it's, it's very difficult. But uh, the end result is going to be uh, a more vibrant ecosystem that's able to monetize intellectual property and create key relationships early in artist careers in Texas so you don't lose the farm team uh, too early. You know, they can play AAA ball here, sure. Maybe they'll need to go to Nashville eventually, but uh, they can keep a lot of their business here, a lot of their employees here when they go. So do you oh, think so with... Uh, Sorry, Dustin. Uh, that's okay. So, um, do you think that bringing these companies here, like BMI and and TuneCore and all that kind of stuff, it, it helps them establish a footprint in Texas? When you look at the music industry as a whole, and you would know way more than I do about it, but when I look at it now, you see all of these artists that aren't going traditional routes. Um, to become famous, they're they're not signing with record labels. They're they're putting out their own digital content. Mm -hmm. With you 
bringing all that stuff here, is that counterproductive to you or does that help out and, and establish all these little tiny satellites that might at one point become a, a large corporation? Yeah, those artists you're talking about, and you're absolutely right about that, those artists you're talking about still need those fundamental relationships. Performance rights organizations, independent digital distribution, uh, company affiliation with companies uh, that help them collect and aggregate those royalties. You don't need a label uh, anymore necessarily, unless you want to be the top 0.01% of the touring acts out there. Right. But you do need those bedrock affiliations and you cannot get paid back if you're a songwriter and you're not affiliated with a performance rights organization. My problem is that if you write pop and rock, uh, you have to go to LA before BMI moved here, you have to go to LA to form that relationship, whether you're gonna do all your stuff independently or not. You're not, so, yeah. So you have to form those relationships no matter what. I'd rather someone think twice about leaving where they're where they're from and where they like to create uh if there's relationships here they will think twice about going they may still go i, I don't you know begrudge anyone for you know uh, attempting to, to change their life experience and go somewhere exciting like the los angeles music scene and get started and make a splash that's a dream but if you want to be in texas and you want to stay in texas and you want to create out of texas you ought to be able to even absolutely. as an absolutely you got to be able to. That's So that's, why not here, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't see that Texas needs to be reliant on other places to get their folks cuts and get paid back. Uh, too long that's been the case. It just doesn't have to be the case anymore. Texas is an industry center unto itself. Um, you know, Nashville's an industry center, but Tennessee is not necessarily an industry center. Right. With all due, with all due respect to Memphis, but... You know, California is not an industry center, but Los Angeles is. But right. Texas, Texas is an industry center. If you're an independent artist, um, right. you can start a career here and make a tremendous impact uh, and hone your craft uh, and not leave your borders for a while. Speaking so, of that, Brendan, um, you know, like I look at like Pat Green or someone that, that was mostly in Texas and then he kind of got to Nashville toward... Um, the middle or maybe uh, of his career. But um, it, do you think that's why Red Dirt and Texas music is so popular in this region? Because it's good old boys just working hard, like you said, because there's no hard work's hard work, mm -hmm. like getting it done. And those people that that uh, want to make it might as well just start, start performing and do your own thing, right? Yeah, you know, fundamentally, you need to write good songs. I don't, I, I don't think that... Uh, I don't think if you if you have bad material, it necessarily ought to be played in front of a lot of people. So I mean, the, you, you, <laughs> ought to, you ought to write good songs, right? But these these artists who start in Texas are different than artists that go to industry centers and find radio cut success. And I'll tell you why: because in Texas, regionally, we grow up with our fans. Our fans meet us, and they right. grow up with us, and they start adding on more fans, and they go through down times and up times with us, and times they're not so happy with us and times they love us in mass but we meet our fans off the stage person by person by person and we go sell them with each great show we play and we lose them with each garbage show we play and it's a relationship you build over a long time the other the converse to that is if you go find radio success 
and you're in that system and apparatus, you can achieve tremendous commercial success. That can find you as Kenny Chesney uh, playing the biggest uh, tours in the world, and, and Taylor and Keith and all these other guys who've done it are doing it. Uh, but if you're not continually meeting your fans through the dashboard of the country radio circuit, you're gone. So if you have a couple cycles where you throw something against the wall and it doesn't stick in Nashville, your fans are onto something else and your label's onto something else and right. you're back at home working at your dad's whatever. So, you know, there, there's, there's two ways of doing it. You may not achieve meteoric rise and massive long-term commercial success by basing independently out of a region like Texas and Oklahoma, but you can have a long sustained career and make a great deal of money have consistent fans that are about you and your brand, not just the latest thing you did, or you can have the other. That's that's the compromise. That's the system difference. Um, and, you know, there's some more nuance to it, obviously, but uh, that, that's how I see it. I think we meet our fans on the road. We meet our fans in the tiny clubs, and we take them with us to the stadium. And that's, I love the intimacy that Texas presents to musicians. Uh, I think it's special, but... You know, I'm wearing a little cowboy hat because uh, you're on, but can you speak a little bit about the other genres of music that you represent and how important they are to Texas? Because, you know, yeah. country and, and that kind of rules the, the roost, if you so to speak. But speak to that because you mentioned Beyonce, hey, put a ring on it, all that good stuff. But speak to that some, if you don't mind. Yeah, Texas is incredibly diverse. I mean, that's not just a talking point. It is, you know, we've, for generations been the home of some really groundbreaking music across all genres. You know, from the progressive country time on, yeah, the Texas Red Dirt or the Texas singer-songwriter kind of ethos has been a very popular and, yes, lucrative one. But before that, blues was a giant export of Texas from Dallas, Deep Ellum, Houston. Uh, it, it's been amazing music that's come out of the, the blues genre. Blind Lemon Jefferson and Mance Lipscomb and these other guys have come up. So we still have this incredible blues tradition in Texas. You know, for a long time, you you couldn't walk down the street in Austin without hearing someone play blues music, you know. So you've got an incredible blues contribution. Uh, today and for many years, you've had uh, this really interesting and vibrant um, hip-hop and rap. Those are not exactly the same thing, but hip-hop and rap community that's ebbed and flowed. Houston, of course, is known for part of it, but it's, it's oh, yeah. everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, some amazing stuff's getting made all over the place in that genre. Uh, you know, you just uh, you ha you have rock that comes in fits and spurts uh, in uh, Dallas and Austin, and certainly the Houston scene. Uh, metal is massive and has been massive for a long time. Dustin's a metalhead and a raphead. Nice. Well, I mean, you can find anything you want. I mean, you can speak to the more native types of music that get made here. You know, Texas for a long, I don't want to get down a rabbit hole, but for a long time, Texas took people from all over Northern and, and Western Europe and threw them together with, uh, you know, Mexicans and Texians. And we made this stuff that was just really nuts. And it became, you know, regional Mexican radio today. And Doug Son played a bunch of it. I mean, Texas produces some of the weirdest, coolest stuff and does it consistently and never stops doing it. Um, so you've got people coming out of Texas that achieve massive chart success in pop, rock, country, hip-hop, and then independently, they 
across the board are making cool stuff happen all the time. Uh, I don't know another place like it. I mean, I know that's my job to say that, but I really believe it. I, I think some places are known for certain things and do them very well, but uh, you cannot hang one label on Texas. Uh, it just, it defies it. So uh, yeah, I, I'm constantly impressed by the people who are doing, doing things in other genres. And I, I learn things every day. There's no way I'll ever be an expert. I'll tell you that. Well, and, and, and in saying that, where Texas kind of stands out different, if you really do look around, if you go to New York, it's known for its hip-hop, its rap. Um, if you go to New Orleans, it's known for its jazz. When you come to Texas, it's known for country and western. It's known for down in Houston and the Fifth Ward and all that kind of stuff for its rap. I mean, there's been huge people that came out of here. And if you look at, I mean, the Queen of Pop, Beyonce, came out of Houston. Um, there, there is really kind of no, say that again, destiny's child. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, it, you really can't look around the United States, like you said, and like you said, it is your job to say it, but I'm in total agreement. You look all around the United States. There's not really a place like it. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. And it'll keep doing it. It's amazing. It's, that's why it's, that's why it's fun to say Texas music. Uh, it's been co-opted by many genres but it's it's essentially texas music it, you can't really hang a label on it it's just it is what it is that's what it is it's texas music and it sounds like a whole bunch of different things and it's cool as hell and and uh man i i love working hey, around it hey brennan do you remember rap coming through houston it was like called uh screw yeah yeah uh, it was chopped and screwed you remember that well yeah uh their big thing was they would slow things down to like an absurd yes. degree. wow right so i think i think that we can laugh about this now but i mean i think <laughs> i think uh, i think you know they they were uh on the lean if you remember what that was yes i do they they sang about it often often that was their calling card so they would slow things down dj screw and his his ilk exactly slow things down to an absurd degree and you listen back to those tapes now it's like you don't know what the hell's happening. And it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like you're just walking in slow motion. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, but, you know, the the amazing part about that was, yeah, the music was insane uh, and never heard anything like it. But then he would sell, you know, 200,000 copies out of the back of his car. Exactly. Know? He had a trunk and they were selling this stuff, tapes, all this out of their trunk. Right. So tapes were thing in that genre too, just like they were everywhere else. But like that, that mixtape was massive. So, you know, they were selling tons of records, um, you know, and it, it goes on today. Now, they're not doing the same kind of, of music, but that sort of bootstrap, do-it-yourself, yep. Paul Wall, Bun B, that's still happening. And it's still, it's not like, it's not happening because it's it's token. Like, it's happening because it's great stuff, you know, and they're still doing it. They're bootstrapping and doing it largely independently and talking about Houston when they're doing it and being proud of being from there and, you know, it's not perfect, but it's ours and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Some of the cool. biggest, some of the biggest artists have come out of there. The Ghetto Boys came out of there. Scarface came out of there. Boys in high school, yeah. Uh, yes. You know, you had UGK because you mentioned Bun B, but it used to be Bun B and Pimp C down there in UGK. I mean, it's it, you're right. It's it's crazy the the level of difference when you go from one even one city to another if you go from dallas to houston yeah. the difference in the yeah. in the kind of rap or the kind of country now last week we had on kane and bryce 
I, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a he's an up and coming singer. And what was great about him was he told us that, you know, he still works. He has a regular job that he goes to that. He's not um, he hasn't made it really big. He's pretty popular, though. I mean, he's got that fan base that he's is like 25 is right? kind of rabid for him. But he still loves playing the little spots all over that gave him a chance when he first started before he made his album and things like that. And and I think that that is another important thing that Texas does. If you go down into the smaller towns or the tourist towns that that everyone flocks to um, for the breweries and the wineries, they have all that kind of live music going constantly. Uh, and, and you don't really see that in other states. Yeah, we're a music heavy place. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I remember how excited I used to be to uh, hop in the car and go play gigs. And and I mean, every small town had a show you could play. I mean, we we played Navasota the same way we play Navasota. You know, I mean, and we were excited to do it. You know, playing Silver Wings in Brenham was like the thrill of a lifetime. Over, I love years, that place. Good twenty years old. You know, Poor David's Pub in Dallas was like Shangri La, man. I mean, it was like. That that was so much fun. I I can I can remember when I was his age. The, the guy you were just talking about when I was his age, I'd already been on the road at twenty five, six years, seven six seven years, something like that. You're a veteran by then. I was I was salty before my time. That's for sure. But uh, <laughs> I still had that uh, that uh, thrill of going back to that club and it was the club yeah. like cigarettes, but you knew the person who managed it and you knew exactly where the load in was and where the backstage was, but it was still just so much fun, man. Uh, did I, you love green hall or what? Yeah. And, and I got to tell you the, the time they finally let us play, um, was the night we did a live recording there. It was That's the, right. The thrill That's of right. They wouldn't let us play for a long time. It wasn't their fault. Like no, no ill will there. They're great people, but, they had a, a concept, a conception about um, uh, about Pat. A lot of people did. A lot of people felt it was very polarizing. It is today, but it was very much so then. Uh, you know, they didn't want they didn't want. Uh, well, if they wanted Robert Earl, they'd just hire Robert Earl. You know, that's what they told us. Are you us. kidding me? Yeah, I mean, it was great. I completely understand where they're coming. Pat from. was great. I mean, Pat. Pat was Pat, and. Nobody should ever take away from that. He's no, a no, no. Guy. He was completely unproven at that time. I mean, we had huge crowds, but but they didn't know that. And you know, he wasn't he wasn't writing that that really incredible songwriter type music. Right. Robert writes. So they're like, okay, we don't want to deal with it. But the first night we ever got to play Green, uh, it was different then. They didn't have that capacity limit they have on. Okay. Wow. Uh, so it was impossible to move in there. It was impossible to move outside in that courtyard area. Uh, it was just insane. Uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday playing that show. It was that fun and impactful and dream come true to play green where, where George Strait had played and all the other people That's that right, I knew. Absolutely. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So, and I went to a, uh, Bruce Robinson concert there probably four or five years ago. Yeah. And it, it was, it was awesome. It's just, the place is like going home. It's just wonderful. Can we talk yeah, about the uh, uh, Texas Music License Program for a minute, the plate program for a minute? Yeah. I don't know why I left that out. Uh, I normally lead with that because I always say if we could do one thing really well and it was that, I'd be really proud of it. Um, so we were given the opportunity to set up a fund uh, that can be uh, allocated to nonprofits if they apply. 
so that we can help them provide instruments to kids who are in tran transitive uh, or transitory type situations, uh, like kids who are moving from foster home to foster home, uh, or kids who are uh, interested in playing music but can't afford a, an instrument, uh, or need lessons but can't afford them. Uh, and then uh, we rewrote the rules a couple of years ago to allow um, creation of music programming in underserved communities. So that can mean a lot of different things. But it's all funded, oddly enough, through the sale of this Texas Music Office uh, license plate. And uh, wow. front and center on the website, you can, you can find how to click through and buy it. We rebranded them uh, about four years ago to make them a little bit more universal. Like, I, I, I put this logo on everything we do. Nice. I, I'm, I'm a huge believer after working with so many bands and brands that you got to find one brand and just ride it. So we put it, we put it everywhere. I've got it on a hat back there and it's on the license plate too. So we put that there. Um, I see them out in the wild a bunch. I mean, people tend to dig them. We've uh, quadrupled sales from what they were prior to us pulling them off, rebranding them. So that means we get to put thousands of dollars towards uh, causes like instruments for kids, lessons for kids, music in uh, underserved communities. It's a great program. Uh, but as you can imagine, I mean, funding it through uh, the sale of a $30 license plate, $23 of which 23, 22 goes to our fund. We take no admin. Nice. Yeah. So DMV takes their part for administration and platform management, that kind of thing. And then we take those dollars, put them in. Uh, oh, that's, that's super cool. It's cool. And they look great. I mean, all of our cars have them. I'll be getting them very soon. I didn't know. They're cool. You'll like them. I think. Uh, super cool. Yeah. So let me ask you. So, I know we've been we've been on for a while and we'll let you go soon. Um, can you speak of what is this pandemic you, economy, e-commerce? You're you're in charge of that in a certain sense with music. What has this thing done? And can you spin this in a positive manner for all the listeners out there? Yeah, I'm gonna dig down deep and try to find a way to do that. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what I'm doing now. Uh, I don't know if y'all know, but uh, on Friday, our governor appointed me to. Um, to run the chair of a working group on the economic revitalization task force. So nice. uh, congratulations. Over, <laughs> not so fast. So, <laughs> so uh, oh, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm I look, uh, one thing that it's not a joke to me is, is service. Like I'm, I'm so thrilled to serve when I got called to do it. I was, I was very, very proud. It's a tremendous amount of work that my chair oversees arts, culture, and entertainment for the state. Uh, really clear. There's no really clear mandate about what that means. To me, that means, uh, and it's been vetted that I was correct. I helped put the plan together overnight on Friday after I got appointed. Uh, <laughs> that means everything from uh, AT&T Stadium and the Dallas Cowboys down to zoos, amusement parks, museums, uh, botanical oh, gardens, uh, music venues of every stripe from the poor David's pub size up to the sheds and AT&T stadium, Toyota center, et cetera. So I probably had conservatively, I mean, no joke, several hundred phone calls from Friday through the weekend through today. So a week, uh, while we attempt to, um, give businesses the opportunity to reopen, should they choose to, if they feel ready to adhere to CDC guidelines, if they feel ready that they can prote protect and preserve the public trust, um, and protect their employees. Um, so we're, we're putting those phased timeline rollouts so the businesses, if given the opportunity, uh, could open if they, they so choose. Uh, 
a lot. Here's back to your central question, Jeff. Um, some businesses are more naturally able to open than others. I'll use kind of a silly example, but you know, botanical gardens are essentially one paywall uh, uh, threshold higher than a park, and parks are open, so you can control you can control interconnection, you can control flow and population. One thing that we're not going to be able to figure out for a long time is how to put large groups of people together in the same space focused on one thing right. uh, without a tremendous amount of risk. So you've got some layers of the conversation there. How do you indemnify a brand uh, like ACL or, or others? How do you indemnify a brand against liability claims uh, if you choose to put on a mass gathering when you're able to? Absolutely. There is, there is no blanket protection for that right now. Uh, how do you protect your employees if your employee says, I don't feel like you've created a safe workplace environment for me to come back to work, but you're, you're, you're in a position where you're open now and you need to terminate someone if they're taking a job that they're not doing. How do you protect yourself against that scenario and many, many others? So we're wrestling with a whole bunch of very complicated concerns in a bunch of businesses that are not like each other. They may be similar. They may seem yes. similar to us, but really when you get down to the nuts and bolts, you know, a water park is not the same thing as Six Flags. Operationally, they're so different. Operationally, they're different. Uh, fundamentally, they're different economically sometimes. Some are nonprofit. Some are for-profit. Some are for-profit with a board. Some are for-profit private enterprises. Oh, yeah. They're all different. They all operate <laughs> different ways. So we're trying to figure out the best way. The pandemic itself, this unprecedented work stoppage that we're experiencing, is a disaster um, that has never before been seen. And if I can just, uh, if I can even force myself to do this for a minute, because I've been thinking so broadly for the past several days and days prior to being appointed, the music industry itself uh, has never experienced anything like this. Now, I know no one else has either, but think about this in terms of, um, you know, our, our music going experience for the next several months. And I won't put dates to it because that's not my job right now. Uh, I will say it's going to be some time before we figure out how to put people in groups together again. You've heard terms like community level immunity or herd immunity. You definitely know what a vaccine is. Right. Uh, there will be likely scenario where you don't open large scale events until you have those things covered. Sure. So what does that mean for us? So if you start working down the list and I've separated in my working group, it's not just one thing because it's, not one thing. Uh, you've got seated venues from zero capacity to 1500 and up into another tier. So you focus on those, which may not still be phase one, but they need to be talked about. So do you have a seated venue? Do you have a standing room only venue or GA venue? Those are different things. Can you practically socially distance people within your club? Likely not in a standing room only venue, possibly in a seated venue. You've got a little bit firmer control, more firm control over how you space people in that in that uh, seated venue. Is the concert going experience going to be the same ever again that it was the day before we started canceling all these things? No, it couldn't be. There's a modality to this that is fundamentally changed and we have to admit now that we're on to a new set of circumstances forever. I look at... Uh, right, forever. Way and that's something people don't realize, sorry to interrupt you, is... No. Changes from the day this from the day we kind of got quarantined, it will never be the same ever, right? Right. So I will put a positive spin on this. 
we are not the same country. We're not the same world, but certainly not the same country we were on September 10th, 2001. And we are not the same country now that we were uh, in Texas, I, I'd say around March 6th when we canceled South by Southwest. That's for me when I was like, that's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, what I thought was going to happen is now definitely happening. I can't believe it, but it's true. Can I uh, can I so, step in on that real quick, Brendan? Because that, yeah. that was what I wanted to lead into with South by Southwest. Oh, sure. Like you said, we have seen unprecedented things. South by Southwest was, I think, what really made everyone kind of perk their heads up and go, wow, South by yeah, Southwest is going. There's culture um, in Miami and South by, and it was, that was the telltale. Well, now uh, Comic-Con has been canceled in San Diego, which, I mean, these huge things that have never, never gone on hiatus or anything like that. How do we... How do we, I don't want to say win back the trust of the people because we don't, we don't win back the trust by putting the concert back on. How do we get people comfortable to come back into scenarios like South by Southwest, like Comic-Con? What, what, what do you do in your position to go, look, it's not the same, but here's how we mitigate everything that we possibly can. Yeah, I think you follow CDC guidelines. I think you follow experts guidelines and you apply those guidelines the best you can to businesses. It's, it's, it's not cookie cutter, but you take those guidelines and you overlay them over businesses and you say, can you provide this reasonably safe adherence to these guidelines? Yes, possibly you can open. No, next, next time. You win back the public's trust by consistently doing that over time, by having a uh, track record of fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer incidents of uh, of uh, sort of uh, rephasing of the disease uh, to eventually you reach that point of vaccine or, or herd level immunity. So you continuously make good decisions and don't take steps backwards. You will win back public trust eventually if you never if you've ever lost it, but you'll get back a viewing public that. Uh, Certainly today is hungry for that sort of interaction, right? Uh, but it'll take time before they come back in the numbers that they did before. If they ever, if they ever do get back to the exact numbers they were, uh, the live touring business was a twelve billion dollar business, give or take, oh, before this happened. You know, this stoppage will eliminate that, right? This was an all-time high peak of live music consumption in the States and internationally. Um, the music industry itself had finally sort of righted itself from the MP3 explosion in the 90s. It's taken that long to get back to a place where people were looking around and going, I recognize this as the industry I remember right. back then. You know, it's being, it's being uh, funded by different mechanisms. It's not all record sales anymore, it's live music. And now you take that out of the equation again. So it will come back in a way that will be new. Everyone's calling it the new normal in our business and every other business. It will come back in a way that's new normal and we will adapt to it and we will make decisions. If we're going to be successful, we will make decisions that keep people safe first and we will make decisions that keep the public trust where it ought to be. And we're not viewed, if we're not viewed as being irresponsible uh, about public health or the economy, then we found a sweet spot and uh, we can get people conditioned to go back out and do the things they love to do. And I will say on a positive note, 
our industry in Texas is as firmly connected, interconnected, resilient, and strong and supportive as any in the country or the world. I'd put us, I'd put us high in the running for the most interconnected, supportive, uh, and resilient, and it's certainly independent uh, industry groups of industry professionals in the world. And we will get through it. We absolutely will come back in a way that we can all identify with and and uh, and identify. But uh, the uh, the point is, it's going to take a long time, and it's going to take a lot of really responsible behavior uh, right. to get us back where we need to be. And that is bottom line. Uh, businesses need to make the right decisions to protect their employees and to protect their patrons, uh, without which they wouldn't exist anyway. Oh man, Brendan, I I uh, I totally respect your. Your, your job you're doing now, uh, that's a huge task to take on. Um, and uh, I think the groundwork you've laid already is going to benefit uh, you and this industry in a positive way. So I think it's a testament to what you've already done as far as groundwork goes. But um, it, is, um, it is difficult. Um, I've been quarantined myself for six weeks. I'm in sales. Uh, I've been off the road, um, and uh, Brendan, uh, I'm uh, going a little crazy. I'm ready to see some live music, but I'm only ready to see live music responsibly. That's right. That's right. So, let me ask you a push question. I know, I know we're going to wrap up here soon, but how is the Zoom or the video or the internet technology helping your cause or is spinning this in a positive way where musicians can still be heard? I think this is one of the most, I, I know this, this may sound like party line, but I think this is one of the more authentic times that artists have had with their fans. Uh, the idea that, yeah, we're all in this together has been tread and retread and thrown out and retread again so many times that I'm sick of hearing it. But the, uh, the fans are able to connect to artists in ways that they literally have never been able to before. Some artists are a little bit more forward in their sharing on social, fine. But we're all at home. We're all spending time in very similar ways, doing very little. You may work and put your mind towards other stuff, but you're not out doing all the myriad things that you did before to occupy yourself and make yourself fully rounded and uh, allow yourself to thrive. So the artists are going through the same thing, essentially, you are, you know, and to connect this way in a more intimate way that isn't contrived, you know, this this isn't a publicity stunt that, you know, Nathaniel Rayleigh right. is going to go live from his garage. It's not like, oh, wow, you know, go get a glimpse of what he lives like. They're telling stories of the same thing you just did. I'm off the road. I'm going a little crazy. Uh, my, my wife didn't like how I made dinner tonight, so I'm going to come in here and play y'all some songs. <laughs> and, you know, my kid and I will make up, but we're not talking so hot right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're real-life experiences that are getting shared, and so you've got this intimate connection that you never had before, you never would have had before. Um, here's a couple takeaways I have from the platform usage that people are uh, taking advantage of. We have a really difficult time in our industry of paying our people back, the people that actually are the bedrock of the industry, the songwriter, the performer, uh, the people that actually create the things that the rest of the stuff are hung on, and... Uh, I'm really hopeful that out of this can come a new uh, accepted layer of monetization for these artists. You know, Absolutely. If, you, if you care for me to keep on sharing this stuff with you, 
you know, help me out. Another big takeaway from this that, that I found, and it's not just because I was looking for it and wanted to find it, it was in my face pretty quick. Early on in the shutdown, when everyone was asked to do the responsible thing, shelter in place, stay at home with your family, and make sure you were kind of with your tribe and didn't leave, um, what was the first thing that people looked to to break up their evening? You know, what was the first thing that people invited right. into their homes besides the people that they could interact with? There are few people they could interact with. The very first thing that every single person I know music. was music. And it was music Absolutely. from maybe their favorites, and then they branched out and found people uh, through recommendation. Or maybe it was just the next thing on, you know, that Stage It or that Facebook platform. I think when they got to the very bottom of the list, they found our podcast. So um, they, they <laughs> had to. Listenership's up here. Listenership's up. I think it's great. I mean, I just I want to make that point, and I will continue to make it once we're back, whatever the new normal is. Like, look, music matters. And, and that's not just a talking point. Music literally matters to people. It does. And uh, it certainly is helpful when you're going through something as hard to uh, describe as what we're going through now. Because what we're going through now is a big, dangerous, uh, hard to understand thing for the smartest um, and most sane among us. And uh, music's that thing that takes the edge and, and rounds it out and makes things a little bit easier, easier to understand. And man, I'm so glad we have it. Absolutely. Uh, I went and did some yard work today, not to get off topic, but, and I was just not feeling it, it was whatever. I put some music on and it, it changed my outlook um, in what you're doing and what we're doing in the state and what we're doing for our economy is admirable and it's important. And that's why I really want to have you on is to speak to this because um, people love live shows. People love their artists and their musicians and there is hope. The new normal is going to be just fine. And I know that we're in good hands with you and that uh, you and your office and all your people are going to do everything they can to revitalize what we can in a safe, healthy manner. And uh, I look forward to those days, the new normal. Yeah. Hey, let me add something. And, and thanks for saying that. I, I look forward to it, to whatever, whatever it looks like. We will, we will, uh, we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, our office is, TexasMusicOffice.com. The social media is easy to find. We are easy to find. Our connects are right there on the website. We are, we are taking uh, a very active role in getting people walked through the system for unemployment at Texas Workforce Commission. Wow. Taking a very active role in directing people uh, to apply and queue up for SBA loans and the PPP protection that's so vital and is saving lives right now. So I want to give a great deal of credit to my staff who is working uh, around the clock on an interpersonal level, on a, on, a, on a macro level, to get that information out, to update it, uh, to shine a light on the efforts uh, other agencies are involved in to save people's lives economically and in some cases uh, actually save their lives. So um, there's a tremendous network of people who will never get any credit for this and they don't, they don't do it for that reason. Um, you know, there's obviously our first responders and the people working hard in the hospitals and there's a, a layer of people who are keeping us safe and alive. Um, and then there are these folks who are just laboring at computers and desks, picking up phones and right. connecting people to 
resources. And I'll speak to my guys, uh, Mark, Steve, and, and Chip. That's my whole staff. Uh, they are working around the clock in a really weird circumstance to, uh, to keep people plugged into resources they need. So I encourage anyone who's curious about what we do, sure, to go to texasmusicoffice.com and check it out. I encourage anyone who's involved in our industry to visit our socials and to keep up with them to get regular updates about what's happening. Uh, and I, I take away from it too, uh, this is a really unprecedented tough time. It's, it's enough to challenge your sanity at times. It's enough to challenge your health at times and you gotta moderate all that stuff. But we're plugging back into our families. We're prioritizing the time we spend. We're sort of identifying, I know I am in, in daily life, Yep. What's actually important, any other Friday night, fellas, I'd be out at a show talking right. to people that I, I work with. I'd be on the road talking to people I work with. I'd be in a venue. I'd be at an event. I'd be speaking somewhere. I'd be in some hotel alone. You know, there, there's, there's sacrifices we make that we think are ultimately important. Uh, but when things really get difficult like this, we figure out exactly what we can't do without and spending time with family and uh, you've got a 16-year-old. I've got a four-year-old. Uh, when would we ever get to spend time like this with those people? Absolutely. And and we've talked about that on our podcast before. And Dustin has three girls ah. um, as well. Oh. And they range from what? What? What is it? Seven. Fourteen uh, to six. Oh gosh. Yeah. And, yeah. And all oh yeah. Girls, but we talked about this. I've gotten on my neighbors, and I've gotten to bond with some people, and they've been great relationships. And while this is so tragic on a world level, never seen before in our modern age, um, I really appreciate how close I've gotten to my local community, which kind of goes with music. It's local, it's community, it's, it's working together. And uh, that's been very, very special. And um, not sure I would have got there without um, this. And there's always going to be a positive spin on it. Yeah. And I'm grateful, thankful, and completely um, sane still, almost, <laughs> with, with what's going on. And uh, um, it has been a lot of positive to go on with the negative. And, and people have to remember there's so much good left, and uh, we'll get over whatever we're getting uh, dealt right now. Yeah, we got to shop local when this is over, too. we got to remember to do that. Those, yeah. those people in your communities that, that make stuff, if it's music, if it's art, whatever else, like you know that that stuff is really in danger of of uh, of going. If we don't plug back into it soon, when we come out of this. You know, shop local, help your folks out who are creating in your hometowns, and go from there. I mean, that's Absolutely. that's all we can do at the uh, end of the day is try to dig ourselves out of it by uh, inches. So, Absolutely. Brendan, in bringing this to a close, and 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 let me be. Let me tell you how much we appreciate you coming on. We understand that you are extremely busy right now in everything that you're doing and, and you responded quickly and got back to us. So I want to thank you first off for that. Number two, we don't have anything right now, um, but is there anything that you can promote that you know of that might be upcoming? Yeah, there's a press conference that's very important that's happening on Monday. It's at noon, and Governor Abbott's going to talk about what the first phase rollout could look like. Uh, that's that's something to watch. Uh, I'm not I'm not at liberty to say exactly what he's going to say on the press conference because it's a mix of I don't know exactly, and there's some stuff that I'm going to let him tell tell everybody. But uh, that's a very important press conference that'll sort of set the direction Texas is going to take in this phased 
reopen rollout. Uh, that's that's something to watch. Any updates that I have that I'm uh, allowed to share that have specifically to do with my music industry colleagues, I put on our social media or I post on Twitter myself or I post on, well, Instagram is all my kid, what we do at the house, but all the, all the, you know, all the social media reflects uh, what we're learning and uh, what we're willing to share, what we're able to share with the public. Um, big press conference on Monday. Okay. Uh, big, big step in a direction. Uh, under Governor Abbott's leadership, we'll, we'll, we'll take steps uh, to, to, to reopen the, the economy in a, in a way that he sees and the public health officials see, see fit, you know, whatever that looks like. So uh, watch that. That will give us an indication of uh, what other updates may follow on what timeline. What's really important to people is that not that they reopen tomorrow, not necessarily. Uh, some people flat out don't want to do that. I completely understand that. What's very important to some folks, especially in my world, is uh, some indication of when that could be that they can do certain things. So uh, we got to book shows. That doesn't happen overnight. Um, we have to book shows and put deposits down and pay guarantees if it doesn't happen. Got to understand those things. So, you know, if we have a timeline that we can hang stuff on that's relatively concrete, uh, be very helpful. And so, you know, we'll start hearing more updates about that. So, uh, you know, Governor Abbott and his team um, will continue to uh, build those timelines out with our help and our input. and. Uh, that should that should hopefully you know, move us in a positive direction. Other than the that, new, no, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Other than that, the really. new normal is going to be great, regardless of what it is, and yeah. we'll get it all figured out with help from you. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll very very proudly be a part of the new normal whenever the heck that happens. <laughs> Brendan, thank you so much for coming on. Um, if there's anything that we can do for you in the future, if there's anything that you want us to put out on, on our groups or, or in our message boards and stuff, by all means, you can contact us and let us do it and we can Absolutely. help get the word out for you. Thanks. I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, anyone you know that, that wants information about us, just tell them to come find me. I'm, I'm easy to find. You? I'm a public figure. I'm yes, accessible. Sir. I work for y'all and, uh, you know, I work for people that, uh, that uh, need our help. So send anyone my way. I, I appreciate you. Uh, Jeff, man, it's fantastic to see you and catch up with you a little bit, man. It's uh, absolutely a thrill to see friends from the hometown and uh, the uh, format and forum you, you built here is fantastic. And, and I hope you're well, man. It's great to catch up. Thank with you. you so much. Uh, Brendan, I really look up to you and I appreciate what you're doing and I truly mean it. Um, it's been fantastic catching up with you and, uh, not sitting you behind a fiddle and actually getting to speak to you. I would shake your hand, give you a hug, but we ain't that close, social distancing, fist bump. Um, um, it's been a true honor having you on, and I really appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. It's been my pleasure. I hope you guys do great. Stay sane, stay healthy, take care of your families, do your best. Thank you very much, Thanks, sir. Man. We'll catch you on the Thank next you. one. Yeah, look forward to catching up again. See y'all. Okay. Be best. Uh, guess who's up? He's waiting. Mikey Jerome. Mikey Jerome is here. Mikey Jerome is in, y'all. All right, here we go. All right, Mikey Jerome, Mikey J. So we've got two drinks tonight, Mikey. We got the Paloma and we got the White Russian from the Big Lebowski. Yeah, I'm going to do a little variation. Uh, I, I, I Actually, hold on. Let me grab this for you. Yeah, so first we're going to do the Big Lebowski. Okay. Okay. 
right. But um, I wanted to ask you guys um, before you did this. I, actually, I'll, I'll do this. I have a couple questions for each of you guys. I've been thinking about a couple things. So this, this cocktail notes. that we're going to make is called. Go ahead. Do I got notes? No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. So, all right. So the first drink is going to be is a white Russian. Okay. The white Russian gained huge popularity um, when a movie came out. Does anybody know the movie? The Big Lebowski. Exactly. That's exactly. the dude's drink. The dude. the dude. Okay. Jeff, did you watch the Big Lebowski? Yes or no? Absolutely. Okay. Um, DJ, have you watched it as well? Obviously you have. How many white Russians during the film does he drink in the film? Oh, shit. Eleven. Eleven. What do you say, DJ? I'm going to have to say, like, probably 30 or 40, because every time he goes to the bowling alley, every time he goes to someone's house, it's got to be up there. Okay. And the correct answer is nine. Nine? Nine. Yeah, because, I mean, I think of how many, there's only so many scenes in, in, the, in the thing, and, you know, probably nine out of those scenes he had a, a drink in his hand. So, um, Chef, you won that question, okay? Well, if now, it was the price is right, yeah. overbid, so we both lose. Yeah, and then one, one, one more quick question. There is a poster of a president bowling in the movie, in his house. Does anyone know which president that is? John F. Kennedy. I think I heard the correct John F. Kennedy answer, but Jeff kind of. I'll say Richard okay. Nixon. Did you say Jeff? Richard Nixon. That is correct again. Oh, let's Richard go. Nixon is <laughs> okay. Damn, so Wait, we're going to build. I'm going to kill right trivia right tonight. No uh, one else is winning trivia. Just saying. Yeah. You know what? Probably. I'm horrible. So. I, I the last time that we played trivia, guys, I had my girlfriend help me out. Uh, Mike, Mikey, you were on camera. We saw question. you. Oh, okay. I was. I didn't know. I was like, hey, don't say anything. You know, I was trying to get all the answers right. Mikey, you're on camera. I know. I know. <laughs> well, I did. I didn't realize. Uh, you know. So, so, you know, whatever. So we're gonna make a white Russian, guys. Now. All right. You could choose to use. You could uh, the ingredients that it's very simple at home. Okay, Kahlua pretty much is a drink that you only buy for a white rush. Okay, there's not really many many other things that you can make. You can make a mud side with it, but it's a chocolate flavored liqueur. It's very tasty, and it, I would say that like you know a white Russian is a huge after dinner drink. It's great. Okay, it's rich, satisfying. Okay, so what we're gonna start off. You can you can make. With half and half, which is tastes way better, but I'm just gonna go for milk for now. All right, we're gonna take some some cubes, throw it in here. All right, bada boom, bada bang, you know. In the quarantine, you do whatever you gotta do. I have kettle right here. You can nice. You do Tito's, Austin, Texas, drink, drink drink responsibly. You could go Deep Eddie's. I know that's another uh, brand out of uh, Texas for all the locals. And I got a little Hustler Casino. Larry Flint hooked me up. Yeah. Larry so you got to put a, a shot. Is that a true story, yeah. Mikey? Me and Larry are like, yeah, we're tight. We're tight. 
Boom. Right there. All so right. We're going to put a shot and a half of that right there. Okay. One and a half? Yeah, he's a very miss. You know, a little more. It's, it's been a rough Friday. Come on, guys. Mikey, I thought you were a, <clears throat> I thought you were a two-shot guy. You know, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna drink this and drink that. All right, and I'm drinking. I'll tell you in a couple seconds. So we're gonna go right here. Boom! Another shot of Kahlua. Kahlua. Bada boom. Bada boom. Right there. Okay, right there. And then what you're gonna do is you're just gonna add a little bit of. Um, I've been studying Spanish. We call it leche. Okay, a little milk. Bada boom. Bada bang. Okay, awesome. and then right heavy there. Cream. Boom. Now, heavy cream is going to make it, yeah, it's going to taste way better. So I would go heavy cream if you can. And right there, you have a beautiful dude concoction, okay? You can just smell it, taste it. If you're hungover, this is going to be the greatest drink ever. If you are if you just want to, uh, your stomach's kind of upset that the, um, you know, it's it's not an acid. It's a basic because it's got milk in it. Oh, so that's it'll freaking coat your stomach, good. You know, a lot of people. That is so good. You know, if you have someone Mikey. that's drinking that doesn't really doesn't like the taste of alcohol, it's a great. If it wasn't for you, know, you I wouldn't make this. Right? Just you could drink it's it. It's delicious at. per your recipe. Right? Isn't it great? It's it is fantastic, man. Delish. Delish. Okay. That's so freaking it, um, fire. Oh my god! Hold hold okay, on, so Mike. Mikey, I'm, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jeff. Stop I know saying I'm not that. Allowed to say Stop that. saying it. But I'm saying it to annoy you. You're embarrassing us in front of Mikey. No, you're annoyed, and I enjoy that. No, Mikey uh, sent me a text, and he said, "You guys can't say fire. So you're I, too old." No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so basically, what I did was um, I went on uh, my little videos that I do. So you're Martin, hating on me. And I and I asked. <laughs> I, I no, I asked him three questions. I said, "Can." man 40 years old used the word fire and you know what 50 percent of the people that came back at me said you my kids say it i feel like it's appropriate and you can say it if it's in the right setting i enjoy saying it so i would say i'm half saying of the people it out there are just be, like you yeah i'm saying it to knowing it's not appropriate and just knowing i'm a dumbass and i accept that <laughs> that's why we love you man yeah Oh, that's great. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's all, it's like almost saying like if you, you know that was radical, you know, like <laughs> you wouldn't say radical, but you're just saying it to you know. If it, no, if how about can I say uh, so we, that's we were lit? <laughs> can I say that's lit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lit is the same thing. We, so we were saying like you know, <laughs> we were gonna we, we were gonna start saying to kids like that's the fire bomb <laughs> or. That's bonfire, you know. Or just hey, dude, come up with something like this is awesome. Stupid, but, oh, the dude. Yeah. What did the dude hey. say? I don't know. Yeah. Hey, man. Relax. Hey, man. Yeah. Now I don't know. Like another thing about that movie, uh, the movie actually didn't. It was a. It was a uh, box office disaster. Actually, right. it later became on a cult classic, so it worked out. But it didn't make any money in the box office, which is crazy. Okay. Now I'm gonna show you. Bottle right here, okay. For all the people watching, this is called Balvini. I don't know if you guys ever enjoy Scotch. It's out of Scotland, okay. It is one of the. This individual uh, bottle is a 
um, Caribbean cask Balvini. But you could pick any Balvini you want. You want to you want to drink some good scotch with your friends, and you want to kind of like you know impress them a little bit. It's I want to say the bottle goes for like 50, 60 bucks. This is the one. This is the one that you want right here. Okay, Balvini. Okay, take a picture with it. Take a picture with uh you know your girl. She'll like it. And then if you have like a little snifter like this, these things are good too. You know, drinking, you know. Bada boom. Bada bing. So um bada bing. So I have a couple questions for you guys in between this drink and the next drink, but let's cheers it up. Let's cheers it up a little. Okay. My question to, to DJ, what's been the easiest part of the quarantine for you? Personally, to all your, to everyone listening, all your friends, all your followers, what's been the easiest part? Man, the easiest part, uh, probably, um, having the accessibility to, for Jeff to be here every Friday night, for you to be here every Friday night, it's made it really, you know, because when life comes back normal, that's true. This stuff is not, and and I've really appreciated that that. You know, Jeff, you were talking about a little earlier. You know that your family is going to be home every day. If you want to go for a walk with your family, there's not going to be soccer practice. There's not going to be school. There's not going to be band concerts. So in its own self, it's it's normalcy of every day, you know, you're going to spend time with the people that you want to spend time with. So I think that's probably been the easiest thing for me. Okay. And, and Jeff, what about yourself, brother? The easiest thing for me is uh, I'm undefeated in the neighborhood. Nobody can beat me. They're eight, Jeff. <laughs> Some of them are 12, 13. But uh, you know what? Here's the deal. Don't take it easy on those boys because they're going to grow up to be men. You can't win against me or there's going to be challengers ahead. So, no, honestly, the easiest thing for me has been, um, honestly, a regular schedule. My my schedule is so hectic with my travel for work and going. Um, it changes from week to week. So the easiest thing for me is not having to deal with a really hectic schedule and knowing I'm going to be home, which sucks a little bit, but at the same time, um, I don't have to deal with all the conflict. So. The easiest thing for me is just sticking to a schedule and, and getting stuff done. Yeah. I mean, th that, um, to all the viewers at home, uh, me personally, I'm a bartender. I work at two different bars. I work six days a week, sometimes 70 hours a week. And I love it. I love people. Now, my only time that I usually spend at home is usually a drink right before I go to bed. And then if I, have, I get free time, I want to hang out with my, my girlfriend, who's a nurse. So on her days off, I hang out with her. So I don't really get to hang out at all and have any free time typically. And if I do, I try to like exercise because that makes me positive, you know? So I agree with you. But like for me, I've been just, in, I've been sitting in different rooms in my house. Like, yeah, you, know, you get bored of rooms. Oh, screw it. I'm going to go to a different room. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say one thing about this quarantine. On this little out balcony over here <laughs> i will say one thing about this quarantine i have find i have found myself and and i think you guys can probably agree with it extremely bored in general with life 
Oh God, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like before, yes. you know, when everything is so busy. So you get to a weekend and you're like, man, I can't wait to watch like two movies or you know whatever well, that's it is not you. Off the window, yeah, you whatever watch it is. All time. Right, whatever it is you do. It it doesn't have the same appeal anymore. <laughs> You know, you sit down. And you're like, I could watch Netflix. No, I don't want to watch Netflix. Uh, you're I could, right. I could do the and and so I found myself just generally bored. I agree with that, and I am beyond generally bored because you know, Dustin, you go into your office every day still. True. You know, I office out of my home, and and I'm in sales. I'm area sales area sales manager. Um, and I still do stuff, but it doesn't keep you as busy because there's not as much going on. I Absolutely. have my projects locked in. But honestly, I've given myself so many outdoor, like uh, I aerated my yard um, three days ago. I rented a piece of equipment from Home Depot. By the way, it drove me down the fucking street. It was terrible. It kicked my ass. <laughs> but I had the plugs in my yard. It's all good. I've stained 3,200 square feet of fencing. Hey, let's talk about enough for any man. Let's talk about that for a second. So the first color that you picked for the stain, <laughs> I, I hear that it was, <laughs> I hear that it wasn't the right color and it turned out way wrong. It was way wrong. It looked like an orange. It was, we, we did this redwood brownish thing. And uh, when we got, it was a semi, you have like a transparent, semi-transparent, and then you have like a full paint kind of deal. And uh, I've got 3,200 square feet of fence. I know. I, I couldn't believe that when I heard that. 3,200 square feet. I have a big lot. Um, and I also have the metal gates that open and close on wheels, which is great. It's because a pipeline, a gas pipeline runs right through my yard. Um but long story short, um, I stained all that. I finished it yesterday. And then today I had a tree that was in my front yard that the builder replaced or moved because they accidentally put it where nothing can be put above a pipeline. Every tree died. But anyway, long story, I put some new Bermuda grass down. I overseeded tonight. I, if I don't create stuff, I go, I'm going to go crazy. So that's what I've been doing, just creating me some good stuff around the house and trying to benefit and trying to make this place look good. You know, I can. And then and, 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 and that sounds like hard work. That sounds like a lot of hard work, man. Yeah. Hey, Mikey, so, I think, I think if you took off your headphones and just went straight through your phone, it would, it would be a lot easier for you to hear. Whatever he said. Yeah, I didn't. You there, Mikey? You there, Mikey? <laughs> <Who>? <laughs> that's part of our. There we go. How's that sound, guys? What's Perfect. Up? Yeah, that that's part of our charm. Is every time we get on with Mikey, we have technical difficulties. And Mikey's oh, such a good guy. Hey, man, did you see I tuned in to your live show playing guitar the other day? Oh, shit. Really? I, I, I can hear you guys, but I can hear you like it's very light. I don't know why. 
Hey, I tuned into your live show. You played music on the guitar. Did you see that I tuned in for that? Well, hold on a second. <laughs> Dustin told me to take them off. It's still, it's still going to these fucking headphones forever. Well, put them on then, bro. That's fine. Put them on. You put them on. Just leave them on. Yeah, leave them on. You're good. <laughs> this is always the funnest part, the technical difficulties. Hey, so I, I, I tuned in to your, you, you playing some music this past week. Oh, my God. Yeah, man, I've been, I've been playing some. Uh, I'm trying to learn Brilliant Disguise by uh, Bruce Springsteen. That's what, the new one that I'm trying to pick you, up on. You know, your, your genre is a lot like some folk music, Texas music. Um, you were pretty good, man. You had the harmonica going. You had the guitar. Like, you were pretty sweet. So I'm, I'm in a situation where if I if – I, I, I have really blessed bartending jobs where I'm making, you know, pretty a, – a good salary and I'm able to buy a house in California. So – but if I, if I was not doing that and I did not have a girlfriend, I would be a musician that would go bar to bar. I feel like – I'm good enough, and I'm a good enough people person to make friends and at least get in the door. <laughs> That's definitely true. But, but I, I, I like my skills are getting better every day. But it's not like you know, it's it's something I really love. And uh, so I play the harmonica. I kind of sing folk songs. You know, um, I wouldn't. Say, I'd say like I'm a shittier version of like um, <laughs> my voice. My voice is kind of like a Colin Hay or a. Uh, like a Bruce Springsteen, but not as good, you know, so that, that kind of thing. But I like the genre of music you like. I love the old music you like. I think it's great. I love that. Like you saying, was it your mom that likes ABBA? Oh, yeah, yeah. I played ABBA, and, you know, I'm a Billie Holiday lover. You and know? you have, yeah, that is a great, that's great music to me. That's that's real cool. Yeah, but like, you, I, like I, you were good, I, man. You, you, you sounded great, and I really appreciated it. You had some original songs, so it was really yeah, good. Yeah, I have I have a whole um, a whole like uh, I'm I'm actually I was I was coming out with three um, ones on Spotify, but this happened, and uh, one of my buddies is the bassist of Lifehouse. His name's Bryce. Wow. Oh yeah. And um, so he, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. So he lives in my uh, he lives in, in my town of Ramosa. We became friends just playing volleyball. I had no idea he was a bassist of you know a huge ass band. And then later on, he's like, Mikey, you know, you, you could sing, bro. He's like, I have a studio. So I recorded two songs in his studio. And he was about to go on tour because Lifehouse was going on tour with the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. And, and then he was like, I, I was like, Bryce, man, this, this, this Corona thing, man. Like, <laughs> he goes, he goes, I know my, my, my lead singer will not fly. He's going to take a RV to all of the gigs. So they had a. Uh, Goo Goo Dolls and Lifehouse had like 26 shows all over the United States. They were going to make tons of money and it got freaking canceled. Like, it, you know, it's every, everyone. You're our guest on earlier, Brendan. Yes, I watched the whole thing. Hey, that guy's, hey man, that guy's sharp. But he really did uh, interject a lot of uh, almost unknown or unforeseen different circumstances and situations that, you know, you know what's crazy is about what's going on is the economy. It, it's just kind of um, it's going from one thing to the other. It's bouncing off uh, different aspects, influence these other aspects, and uh, it's really crazy. But music, and that's why I appreciate. I, we listened to you when you were live, and I was like, 
told my wife, Andre, she's really, he's really good. Even if you weren't the best in the world, I liked it. And you were really good though. And um, it was nice to hear live music. And it was nice to hear live music from a friend. But uh, yeah. I really miss, you know, you're driving down the road, you're going to a project or whatever, and you're listening to some music, you're singing along. Um, I really do miss going to live shows and experiencing all that. And music still does keep us keep us going. Like, you know, we say movies and Netflix and all this, but dude, music's where it's at. I mean, I work on the Ardulous. I have music going the whole time. Music is what drives us. My that, wife that said is, she watched you. Part of this society. My wife said she watched you and she thought you were really good. So, you know, it's, it's, I still, my, my dad bought me a guitar when I was uh, 16 years old. And if anyone ever plays a guitar, I recommend you buy a nylon string guitar because it's easier on your fingers when you start playing because, you know, and then it's just a process of, of learn of, um, it's kind of like Spanish, you know, you, until you hear the word, um, water 15 times and you know, it's agua, you know? So you learn your finger positions. And then once you get that, you take whatever style it is that you like of, of music or whatever. So the first Are you good with me, fingers? Me, <laughs> Mikey, I mean, Mikey, don't don't go down this one with him. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, it hurt when I started, man. But I know you're getting all perverted. But hey, let, let me ask you a question, Mikey. The only thing that's kind of stood out to me when you do your live shows, you have microphones and everything, right? Um, no, Threw yeah. it right out of my phone. I see a really? I see a microphone in front of you. It's not a microphone. It's a chandelier from uh, a light. So it looks like a microphone. No, <laughs> bullshit. It's a microphone. Are you, you, wanna, you, 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 you want to see it? Yeah. That's what it is right there. That's what it is. No. No, no you have a microphone in front of you. No, I never do. All right. I'm, I'm going to prove this. This week, everyone pay attention because I'm going to prove yeah. my. Tune in to Mikey Jerome. Listen Absolutely. In. Every day you get a yeah. new drink. Every once a week you get a new show. Uh, he does a, you do a concert so about once positive. a week. I love your positivity, dude. Yeah. So, so the, the funny thing was like, I was, uh, I, I initially started these music, these uh, bartending videos because uh, we're stuck in the quarantine. And, and then back in the day, there was this guy named Ty Peddington. He had a show on channel. I remember 7. him. Yeah. And he, he was like, so animated he like took his personality I, to the nines so like you know you always want to like you guys you know you guys are doing a great show you're gonna watch other podcasts you're gonna steal some shit from other people you know so like i was like all right this guy's like he has energy man you know so i'm gonna ramp up like how i this is how i am normally but when i do that show i'm like because he would be like hi guys i'm ty pennington <laughs> little Bobby, little Bobby's three years old and he's dying of cancer, but we're going to build him a room. Let's go, you know? And he, yeah, and it would be like, you know, the saddest situation, but he, he would just make it like, wow, this guy's great and he's positive. And so, like, I was like, I'm going to steal that. So, so when I'd be making the videos, I've been amping myself up like times 10. And then all my friends are like, dude, do you like do drugs or amphetamines? I'm like, dude. I don't. I, I'm like, if you want to do them, that's cool. I'm like, I don't do amphetamines. Just the brownies, like, right? Yeah, like I'm just a drinker and a little and the and the pot. That's it. <laughs> you know, that's it. So guys, I 
I had a question for you guys. Okay. What habit have you started during the quarantine that you've broken as the quarantine has gone on? EJ, go first. I don't know, man. Don't put this on me. What habit have you started in the quarantine? What habit? You repeat that, Mikey. Yeah, yeah. Say the question one more time. What habit did you start at the beginning of the quarantine that you've broken as, you know, like, like, like a, an example would be, I never left the house. I stayed in for three weeks. And then, and not that I'm doing this to, to like, yeah, now I'm going to restaurants and, and having drinks at, 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 at you know, okay. staying at, you know, like not, not that. So what, what did you, what rules did you follow? And then you've broken them? Yes. And if you, you don't have to say, if you don't want to, you know, alienate yourselves in front of the. No, viewers. I'm just trying to figure out like, man. I think, you know, I've been about the same the whole time, but, uh, you know what, honestly, like, uh, interacting with some of my neighbors and stuff, like there was more than six or 10 people there. Um, there were their kids, there were them, and we were all hanging out together. Um, everyone's safe and healthy, but I, know, and I also I went and built a fence with my nephew and then the, that weekend, I, I saw my sister. My sister, by the way, is a nurse, and she actually swabs COVID patients every day in her city. So it was her, her husband. Um, we probably gathered about eight people, but we hadn't seen each other in so long. So um, everyone's uh, safe and happy and healthy, but it probably just maybe that, just... Um, I've gathered with a few, but at the same time, it's all been in a healthy way. It's not like been a party or 20, 30 people. It's just kind of been, you know. No, I know. Cause you, cause you have two sides. You have the, you have the side of, um, you know, man, as long as you're with your family, you should be able to hang out. It's not a big deal. Right, and then right. you have the, and then you have the other side <laughs> of the spectrum going, take like taking pictures of you that you're not wearing masks in public yeah. or something, you know? And then, then they put it on social media. Look at this family right here. Just not right. abiding by the rules. I think well, that I've... Funny, uh... you know, yeah, my UK friends said something about that. But we uh, we did gather a few times. And um, you know what? It was almost like my niece, who I think uh, she's 35 or 37. She has a four-year-old and a seven-month-old. And... Um, her mom hadn't seen the kids. It's my sister in a long time. And we're like, screw it. I, I went and built a fence with uh, her husband. We're like, screw it. We're having a barbecue on Saturday. Now, granted, there was only a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There was like 11 people there, but we were on six, man. We we're out in the middle of Texas, nowhere. So it's all good. Bro, we have, That's a, what I'm saying. <clears throat> we have a social distancing all. birthday party tomorrow. That's right. Mm-hmm. We lost Mikey again. There he is. No, you got, you got me back. Oh. Yeah, we uh, we have a social distancing birthday party tomorrow. So my wife's birthday is tomorrow, and we're going to have the party in the driveway. I'll be there. With about That's seven awesome. with That's about awesome. seven people. So here's what I need you to do for her 
tomorrow, Mikey. I need you to make a special video and a special drink just for her. Ooh. Can you do that for me? What kind of spirits does she like? Does she like vodka? She likes, she likes vodka. She likes rum. But I want you to bring the fucking hammer down on tomorrow's bring drink. Bring the fire. I want fireworks. Fire. Listen, Mikey. See, the fire is not the same as fire. No. Li- yeah, right. right. Mikey, I want you to think of 80s hair bands. That's the kind of fire <laughs> I want you to bring into this drink. 80s hair bands. So you need to pick a good I mean, song. We can, make, we, can make a, we can make like a hurricane. Oh, that's a good drink. Yeah. That'll get them lit too, by the way. Well, we I could mean, do that. Does she like my ties, or do you want, or do you want to go like bougie and make like a oh no a see, rum? See you, no you, you misunderstand my wife. She is gonna drink to not not be bougie. So she wants a she doesn't like real fruity drinks. She she likes drinks like uh, okay okay. Suck so, it to her. There you go. Okay. I, I don't mean to I, put. I have, I have something. I got, I got something in mind. Okay. But but definitely like when you make a rum, if you're gonna if you're gonna use like a good rum. How about a kraken? Um, I got kraken. Yeah, kraken rum. I got the kraken. You know where I learned about kraken rum was when Jeff and I went to St. Louis. They said kraken rum was the best rum to use in drinks. Now really? you might not agree with that, but but they were saying it was, as Jeff would say, fire. Fire. <laughs> I tell you, it's a, it's it's definitely a potent. It, it's a hundred proof, I think, uh, darker rum, but it's a spiced dark rum. And my brother-in-law drinks it, uh, Joe, Joe, and and we we get tanked on it. The hangover is real the next day. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> that. I don't know what it is in this dark rum, but it, it messes with me pretty that bad. <laughs> but you know what? I'll make a drink. I'll, I'll, I'm going to come up with a drink tomorrow. Okay. With the crack. No pressure. Okay. No pressure. So and, let's and get. And, go ahead. You want to get back? Get back to the drink making. Yeah, what? let's go. Let's get your next drink in. Give it to us, big dog. Okay. All right. So I I do have more questions for you guys. Okay. Yes, All right. I like that. Thank you. All right. All right. So we're gonna throw some. Uh, let's throw some ice cubes in. This next drink is called a Paloma. Now, I, I've been bartending ever since I was probably 18 years old. I I never wanted to go to school, but I did it because my parents wanted me to. And then I just would scrape by every semester. I was on probation. I'd get off probation. I failed out of college. I got back in. I went to college for seven and a half years. But the whole time, I had a great bar job. And in the beginning, I was um, I was like a, 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 a bouncer, believe it or not. Um, I was bigger back then because I was, you know, a young kid and I was bigger and stronger. But so and then I started bartending at like 20 years old. Back then you could. And that career, believe it or not, I, I just was like, wow, I'm good at this. Like, I, you know, you don't you don't plan it. And then you, you work a couple of jobs where you're not making any money and then you start making some money. So when I when I started moving on in my career, the drinks, you know, weren't just, uh, you know, vodka cranberries, you know, or right. vodka orange juice, you know, in, in college, that's what it is. So so this drink was was, was called a Paloma. And uh, typically it could, it's made with white uh, tequila, but I, I'm going to bring up a, 
I'm gonna make mine with um a is this uh, good, Mikey? Yeah, that's beautiful. You, that's better than mine, actually. Well, not not better, but it just I feel like it does better with with a white um tequila, but I just the quarantine. Casamigos brand is uh is is was Clooney's. He made more money off of this tequila than he did off his whole uh, really history. yeah he made they, they sold it for a that's his tequila Casamigos check it out a billion dollars they sold it for yeah so you're gonna pour a, a shot I go two shots right what there you go Friday night. There you go, TJ. That's for you, bro. Okay. Then we're gonna I'm gonna take fresh limes, or if you have lime juice, I'm gonna squeeze two limes in there. Okay. Now, if you want, you could take two forks, cut it in half, and squeeze it in there, however you want. You know, boom. You got that right there. Then you're gonna take grapefruit juice, and if you have a, a fresh grapefruit, you could squeeze it, and then you squeeze that right into here. All right. We're gonna dump. Probably another ounce right there under there. Then you're gonna take a packet of sugar or just a little sugar water, which is basically, you know, a packet of sugar. Is that the just sugar water you made, Mikey? What? Is that the sugar water you made? Hey, will sweet lime juice work? Um, do you have sugar? It's, it's my lime. Okay, yeah, you can do that. Sure, it will. That. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, for anybody at home that wants to make uh, simple syrup, which is sugar water, you go equal parts water, equal parts sugar, and then you boil the water in a pot. And when you're done, you'll have uh, you know you'll have the, the sugar water, and then you just dump it right back in your bottle, and then you have a little. Uh, I made this with brown sugar, that's why it's brown. But if you make it with white, it'll turn out white. Okay, so right now, now we have all the ingredients that go into a Paloma. All right. Now, we're also going to have club soda, but we add that when we're done shaking. You don't want to shake soda in your drink. All right. Now, you can use a spoon, shake it up, do whatever you want. Then we're going to go like this. Now, you could salt the rim. I'm not going to salt the rim because my uh, cholesterol is high and my... <laughs> What's the other one? The, uh, my blood pressure. Yeah, I got high blood pressure too. I don't even know why. I'm fucking. I'm a healthy person, but yeah, I'm on the borderline having to take pills. I'm, what are I'm you doing, Jeff? Jeff, Jeff, what are you doing over here? He's you licking the bottle. Beer? I don't have any fresh limes. I'm just in or the sweetened whatever sweet shit. Okay. <laughs> okay, I like that. You know, he's that's what he's doing. He's doing what he can. Now, now, they go take, take a nice oh, taste. Oh, shit, that's good. That really is good. It's a, ta it's a taste. That's really drink. good. It's very refreshing. That's a and summer it's, drink it's right there. Yeah, it's a, it's a summer drink. It's refreshing. You know, you, you go to the beach. Or you're, you're, you, have, you have a birthday party with your lady. You say, yo, baby, I wanted to tell you. I made you a drink. I love you, you know? Now, love can you, you come in the back and bang me. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah like... Can you guys do a New York accent? Can you can you give me? I'll give you a Texas accent if you give me a New York accent. What um, What do you want us to say? Whatever you want. I, I'll I'll go first. I'll be like. Okay. All right. Um. The 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 sun doesn't shine on the same dog's ass every day, but your ass ain't seen a ray of light since you got here. 
that pretty good or what? Horrible? No, that's pretty good. But you're right, no, but Texas? you're a thespian. Yeah, you, now I want to I want to hear New York like like. Oh, I want to hear New York. York. We got good pizza. We got cannolis. We got some uh, sauerkraut. Uh, we got everything. How do you say the hot, the sauerkraut on the what? Sauerkraut, sauerkraut on, on the on hot the, dog. On the dog. Dog, dog. <laughs> That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous right there. All right, and uh, so as we're drinking our drink, so this is called a Paloma. It's it's a great summer drink. I actually will make this as a shot. If, if a girl says, oh, I want a shot, not too sweet, not too strong, that's hard to do, right? So what you do is you make this, you shake it up, you tell them it's a tequila shot. It's going to oh. be sweeter. It's going to, you know, it's going to be sweeter. So than I don't just... like grapefruit at all, and I like this, actually. I mean, it's, it's so, a great drink. Yeah, that's true, Jeff. You don't like grapefruit at all. Yeah, so you can you can make this into shots. Like you know how like a lot of people don't like to do shots, right? Too sweet, and then other people don't like to do a shot straight up because that's too strong. This is too good to make, and then you just pour them out, and, and people take a shot, and they're like, "Wow, that was smooth. That was good." You know, so you can do you could do that at home, like at a party, something like that, where it's not going to knock everybody's socks off, and everyone's going to. I like, think your shirt is very uh, indicative of that drink. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the sunshine. same color. Yeah, it's the sunshine. It's the sunshine. What is wrong with you, Jeff? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, he's he's fire. He's fire right now. I'm Mikey, lit. come on, Mikey. He's lit. Dad, I don't have need. You guys seen, have you guys seen Waco? The, the um... no, not I yet. watched that a long time ago. Yeah. No, no, no. It's oh, a new. It, no, no, no. It's a new one on Netflix. Is what he's talking it's about. It's a new one. Yeah. Yes. It's I'm, different than the other Waco. Yeah, it's a, it it's a like a drama. It's not a documentary. No, I I I, I thought that's been out for a while. No, there was one, but th this is a completely different one. This is a brand okay. new one. Okay, I haven't. Seen no, that I'm in the called. middle of uh, Ozark. Oh, Ozark is fantastic. Ozark's great. It gets better and better. But you know, you know when well, I was it, in, it, it, let me ask you guys something. I'm having a real hard time in the first season. Like I'm probably five episodes in. Oh, you got to keep going. Oh, yeah, you got to keep yeah, going. You got to keep going. It, it, it starts off slow. Yeah. The endings. It's gonna like probably over the next couple episodes. You're like, holy shit! It, it'll it'll get there for you. It'll get there. So my wife says oh, after Marty we're done, will, Marty will do it. Yeah. After this quarantine's over, Mikey, that uh, Jeff and his wife and me and my wife are going to make a trip out to your bar. Yeah. 100%, man. And uh, I'll, I'll have a whole itinerary of stuff for you guys to do. I'll set it oh, up. Nice. It'll be, it'll, it'll I don't, be awesome. I don't, <laughs> no, you may, no, you may not. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for saying that. Jeff, we have to stay at a hotel because you know we drink the water down in the lobby and and rate it every morning. So that's true. No, I wouldn't impose on you, man, because you're he doesn't wear pants. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I could ask her. You know, who no, knows? no, he does not wear pants for a lot of vacation. That is very true. Oh, he just he just goes with the. Do you go with the tidy whities or you got the box? I briefs? just go with nothing, bro. <laughs> You just hang. That's how they do. That's how they do it in Texas, man. That's what we do. Gunslingers, biatch. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea uh -huh. likes it sometimes. 
almost never, but whatever. <clears throat> so anyway, you got to watch um, when you're done. Um, Waco, Texas. I want to say it's one of the top now. Yeah, it's in the top watch, 10. Um, yeah. But I was going to tell you, with the Waco, Texas thing, when, when I, I took a really difficult course at Baylor called Leisure and Activities, it was a really hard course. But we rode our bikes all the way out to Mount Carmel where all the branch Davidian stuff was. And I tell you, it was so... Right before I went to Waco, uh, Baylor, it was 94 when I think all this David Koresh stuff went down. I was there in 94, 95, and it was all Waco on the news. Well, Mount Carmel is like 10, 10 miles out, and uh, we rode our bikes out there, and there was still the bus that, that was dug up, had holes in it, and there were still people there that were Branch Davidians charging to come in. I know what... I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, they, that's all they knew. They grew up like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they took away, you know, and it, it was like, so if you watch that, if you watch that series, they kind of, they kind of like make you see the side of the Branch Davidians. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, obviously what they did was wrong buying all those guns and everything, but it basically said that the FBI and then some other branch of the government was trying to make a name for themselves. And they said, Hey, if we, we get this group, um, it's going to be good for the FBI, you know, showing that we did something like really big. And then in the process, you know, all these kids and children and mothers died. They did. They have a messed up way of life. Yes. But they, they basically were just, you know, spiritual and they were yeah, good to each other. It's been sensationalized a lot. So if, if you really want to, <clears throat> if you really, Mikey, I don't know how much you like documentaries and stuff. No. But if, if you really want to look into the history of that, there are three documentaries on Netflix. Uh, the okay. first one is called Ruby Ridge. Uh, the second one is the Oklahoma City bombing. And then the third one is Waco. And they show between the three, they're all made by the same company. I think it's through PBS and stuff, how all three are connected. And if you look at... Um, like the Waco incident and the uh, Oklahoma City incident, those people were, uh, let's see, Waco happened first. So um, trying to think of the guy that did the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, oh, um, I know I could see his name. Yeah, I cannot think of his name right off the bat. Timothy McVeigh. There you go. Uh, he is in this documentary, <clears throat> it shows all the news footage and stuff. He's actually at the Waco compound. Wow. So, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. So, uh, it was, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Yeah. So, um, but it goes through all of them. It shows how all three of them are connected together and stuff. It, it is, they are three phenomenal documentaries. If you like that kind of stuff to kind of get more of the story behind it. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you guys. Okay. When life gets back to being normal or as normal as it could be, who knows what that's going to be and who knows how long it's going to take. What specific place in your neighborhood are you most looking forward to go to visit? In my neighborhood? 
Yeah, where you live. Well, say in your community. How about your community? Your, yeah, your community. Like, what, I think a restaurant, like, like going and eating at an actual yes. restaurant. Yeah. Or a movie theater. Or going I, to a bar. Yeah. I think even more, yeah, a restaurant or a movie theater. I would say, I, I would, I, I, I totally agree with Dustin. A restaurant, a movie theater, I think a movie theater experience is, is one of a kind still. Uh, you know, we have Netflix and all that other stuff, but um, I would say restaurants, but um, uh, you can say go to the bar if you want to. The bar. <laughs> Um, Jeff was going to say the strip club. Going to sporting events. That's what I'll miss. Yeah, I miss there you go. That's the, that's the first thing you're excited. I know. I, like, I'm a big sports guy. My producer um, interrupted me. Well, the oh, biggest yeah. thing, right before all this happened, you know, excuse me, Jeff and I went to St. Louis, um, and we wanted to go to an XFL game, and we're like, you know what? We have a Dallas team. We didn't get to go to the XFL game. We went to a hockey game instead of an NHL game. So we were like, well, screw it. We'll just go to an XFL game when we go back to Dallas. So we had already, Jeff and I had already looked at tickets, everything where we were sitting and then boom, gone. And so we were like, well, shit. And then they came back and canceled the XFL. So we were like, well, now we can never go see it. No, but sporting events for me, I think the energy at those places are phenomenal. I love it. I miss baseball started. The Masters, I love golf. The Masters was missed. Um, NFL draft, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. I'm, I miss sports a lot. Um, and it, it's and I don't know when that's ever going to come back, actually. It's, it's really pretty crazy. Yeah, to, to tell you the truth, the one area that um, – never said what habit have you started that you broke during the thing. I have played two rounds of golf. I've driven an hour and 25 minutes to uh, this place called Riverside, which is like in the desert of California. But out there, it's, it's more spread out and stuff. And you have rules. You have to stay away from each other. Sometimes um, you, the first 18 I, I did without a cart, which was a big mistake because, yes. you know, you, I don't remember. You the last walked time the whole thing. To- it ended up being seven miles because now we have a phone that tells us how much we walk. Right? Was it hilly? Oh man! I mean, yeah, there was there was. Um, oh yeah, that's a bitch. By so, the end of it, yes. What's up? I just uh, I didn't get my answer of what I had started and stopped. I I stopped kissing everybody on the mouth when I met him. <laughs> Well, you, yeah, I know. So, so that's going to be your new thing. You're going to come back and give him like lippy kiss. I don't know. You know, I, you know, going into this, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take this full fledged and I'm going to kiss everyone in the mouth when I meet him. About, you can't do that. Yeah. You know? About two weeks in, I had to give it up. I mean, that's, you know what I miss? I'll be honest. You know what I miss? I miss <laughs> a handshake, honestly. I miss a I handshake. Know. I, I, I miss hugging you, Jeff. I know you do. I'm a bear. You're a bear. What's up? Um, I've always been the little spoon, though, so, you know. No, honestly, you can sleep (laughs) pole to pole and pole to hole, but never pull to hole. For all you guys You ever ever hug those guys, like, like I'm a hugger, too, and you hug them, and they just just don't want to be hugged. Like, they're so awkward. My brother's that way. He's like, e, e. (laughs) And I love him even more. I'm like, oh, get on some of this, bro. 
Yeah. You hug him even more. Just but honestly, I miss, uh, actually, I was at Home Depot earlier today getting the last piece of seating I needed for my grass. I aired it in my yard. I'm putting over seat out. And uh, I saw a girl from my church. And I was like, hey, I, I think I know your husband. He was in my small group. And uh, he was. And she was like, oh, hi. And she, she reached out. Oh, we can't do that. Um, like shake hands. And I miss just looking a dude or uh, whoever in the face. And kissing him face. right on the mouth. <laughs> or the mouth. Whatever. Just just grab him right by the fromage. Yeah, there you go. The fromage. The New York fromage. So uh, what do you guys think about taking a break real quick and uh, coming back and playing a, a round or two of trivia? Yeah, baby. Mikey, good to me, are man. you in? I'm down. Okay. I'm in. Like, All right. So, like four flat tires. so everybody watching, we're going to go to the bathroom, take a break real quick. If you want to yes. play, put it in the comments below and we will get back to you. Uh, and I'll send you a link and we can play one round or two rounds, whatever it is. And we'll go from there. All right, guys, we're going to take a break. <laughs> 